Hey, well, I don't think I introduced myself before, but I'm one of the pastors here. My name's Mike. If this is your very first time, uh, glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy your time with us. It's a time of great growth that you, you meet with God here, that he encourages, strengthens you, challenges you. And so we're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. And inside of your program is a message note sheet we use every week for this time of teaching. So definitely want to pull that out. And if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yes. All right, let's pray. God, we are, uh, we're excited to be here. We're in your house. Uh, we're under your name. We're uh, being led by your spirit. Uh, we're under the authority of your son. We're gathered around your word. And now we're just ready for you to speak. And uh, we really are waiting here on you uh, to show up and do what only you can do. And as we talk today about this incredibly profound and important topic of spiritual warfare, we pray you to open our eyes to the unseen realm. Help us understand who you are, who we are, why you've come, and what it means to follow you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing this series in the Gospel of Mark that we've been in now since the, the beginning of the year. And uh, for those of you who are brand new, every week we've got some new people and just want to not only welcome you, but take a minute or two to bring you up to speed. This series is called Jesus the King. Uh, it's a series on, on the study of uh, the life and teaching of Jesus as seen through one of the eyes, uh, the eyes of one of the, the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus, he's a man named Mark. Mark was a close personal friend of the apostle Peter, and uh, towards the end of Peter's life, uh, Mark wrote down this account, the life and teaching of Jesus, based on the firsthand experiences of the apostle Peter. And so, so far in this series, uh, Jesus has gotten to the north of Israel, to an area called the Galilee. He's uh, announced his, his movement. And his message is very simple. Uh, the, this this uh, message that the prophets have been saying for a thousand years that uh, there will come a time where God, Yahweh, will break into time and space in a powerful way. He will rescue his people, Israel, uh, that the uh, Messiah will come. All wrongs will be turned to right. It'll be the, the start of this whole new, uh, new era in human history called the kingdom of God. Jesus says that, that era is starting. It's near. It's here. And so Jesus then backs up this claim by wherever he goes, he, he brings kingdom power to bear on, on whatever the situation. So he's freeing people from demonic control. He's uh, healing sick people. He's commanding nature. It's sort of a preview of coming attractions. Uh, here's what life will be like when the kingdom comes in power. And so last week, we, we started this new section of Mark, and we kicked off this brand new mini-series I'm calling Category 5, because in this section... Uh, Mark is highlighting three of super miracles of Jesus, where he's taking these uh, signs of power to a whole new level. And today we come to kind of a category five level of demonization. Now, when you study uh, demon possession in, in the Bible, the, the New Testament doesn't want really to use the term demon possession. What it uses, it, it talks about people as having an unclean spirit, uh, someone that has a demonic spirit, it's an impure uh, unclean, evil spirit. Uh, and to talk about someone being demonized, so there's a, a de demon attacking or influencing that person. And so what we're going to learn today is there's different levels of demonization. And so today we're, we're meeting a man that's probably the worst case of demon possession that we see in the New Testament, uh, kind of a category five level. And uh, this man has a name. His name is Legion. All right, the demon, the head demon has a name, a legion. Now, how many of you have seen the movie uh, Gladiator with Russell Crowe? Have you seen that? Okay, believe it or not, it's like one of my wife's favorite movies. And uh, uh, so anyway, uh, mine too, but uh, that's not surprising. Uh, anyway, uh, in, this, in the movie, you know, Russell Crowe, kind of, kind of the main character, and I don't know if you remember, but he describes himself, you know, Maximus, what his name is, he describes himself as the commander of the armies of of, of, uh, of Africa, and as uh, the, the head of the legions of Felix, okay? And so a legion was, in the Roman army, the largest uh, grouping of soldiers. So a legion would typically have between uh, five and 6,000 soldiers, uh, maybe as low as three, but typically five to 6,000. And so Jesus is going to meet this man uh, named Legion, uh, and he says, because there are many of us. And notice that this man is indwelt by a legion of demons. We don't know if that's literal, if there was five or 6,000, or this lots of them. It's sort of a, a way of describing lots, but, but he's going to meet this man. So, so here's what's going to happen. Uh, he, he, Jesus is going to show up, and uh, this man is going to 
approach him. And, and so we're going we're gonna to meet this man. It's just like a, a kind of a case study of like demonization on steroids. And so this man is going to come to him uh, and he's, uh, he, he's naked. Uh, he is uh, uh, screaming. He has supernatural strength. Uh, he is self-destructive. He's cutting his own body. He's full, full of scars and, and uh, bleeding. And it's just quite the scene, all right? So, so Jesus today is going to meet this man, and it's going to be a Category 5 uh, kind of encounter with darkness. And so if you have your, uh, your note sheet there, we're going to jump to that section called The Story, One Tortured Soul, and, and let's, uh, let's see what happens. So Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, today's a historic day because we're breaking into a new chapter. I figured it out this week. I think we're going to finish a series um, on Easter, about Easter. So, uh, so if you're not enjoying it, you may want to try someplace else because we're going to be here a while. So you're like, oh, man, I can't believe that. It's like, okay, try, try Shepherd, and we'll see you back. We'll see you on August 8th and 9th, and then we'll see you back. All right. Uh, so uh, chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. So, so they came across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So let's, let's set it up. Uh, last week we saw Jesus has been teaching all day. Uh, at the end of the day, he says to his men, let's get into the boat. Let's go to the far side of the sea, the eastern side. And so uh, he gets in the back, falls asleep. Uh, a huge storm comes up. They almost drown. Last minute, wake Jesus up. He commands the, the winds and the waves, category five level of power. They're blown away. Uh, they're, they're more scared of Jesus now than dying. Uh, who is this man? Because that, that's what just happened. So now it's morning apparently or the next day. They arrive at their destination. They get off this boat. And, and they're in this region of the Gerasenes. Now, we don't know for sure where this region was. We believe it was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is Gentile country. Okay? So, so Jesus is, for the most part, he's, his ministry is focused on Jewish people, uh, but he's traveling to Gentile country. We don't know why. Uh, maybe just to get his, his men away from the crowds, get a little R&R &R could be. But uh, as they get off, uh, he sees in the distance this man that Jesus uh, recognized right away. This man is demon-possessed, okay? So his name is Legion, and like I said, he, he's, he's this crazy guy. He's an extreme level of demonization. And so we'll learn today there's different levels, and, and he was like at the extreme case study, uh, he is, uh, uh, like I say, he's totally alienated from his family. Uh, he's been living in the hills and in the tombs for a long period of time. Uh, he runs around naked. Uh, he, uh, I'm sure he hasn't been to the barber in years, right? So he's got, I'm sure, like flowing hair, big beard. Uh, he cuts himself uh, because he's in so much pain. He just howls throughout the day and night like a wounded animal. Uh, and so in, in his pain, he cuts himself with stones. And so he's in extreme uh, pain, kind of a picture of hell, of torment of hell. We're told that he has superhuman strength that these demons in him have given him superhuman strength, apparently more demons over the years, increasing strength. And so the villagers have often gone to try to subdue him. I'm sure they took nets or something, like you were trying to capture a wild animal. And so they would capture him, they would hold him down, they would put him in chains and irons, but over the years his strength had increased, the point he would just break out of whatever chains they were in. So, so this guy is a mess. He, he's a picture of someone, just a tortured soul, all right? So is a picture of a person's extreme category five level of demonization. And so, so when Jesus gets out of the boat, he sees this man apparently at distance and he begins commanding the demons to come out. And so what's going to happen now is that these demons, uh, the, this demon-possessed man, remember he's naked, right? He's got no clothes on. He is bloody. He's cut up. His hair is flying. Superhuman strength. He comes running at Jesus. Now, if you are one of the guys with Jesus, what are you doing about now? I'm looking for a baseball bat, right? It's like, it's rumble time. It's rumble time. And it's like, it's, there's 13 of us and there's one of him. We might have a chance. And, and so uh, he, this guy's flailing. And so, so now we're going to see what happens. All right. So in verse 2, so Jesus gets out of the boat and a man with the evil spirit comes from the tombs to meet him. And the man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, 
For he had often, catch that often, been chained. They hadn't just captured him once. They had often been chained. Um, uh, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day, among the tombs, in the hills, he would cry out, kind of wounded animal, howling out, and cut himself with stones. So this is a very destructive, uh, uh, kind of pathetic, painful uh, 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 situation. Okay, so when he sees Jesus from a distance, he runs and he falls on his knees in front of him. Now, now here's the thing. So, so picture this. This guy is running, right? Full speed, hair flaying, bleeding, uh, uh, just crazy, eyes crazed. He's running at you, but it turns out that he's running uh, not to attack. He's running to surrender, okay? Be- because Jesus has been calling to him and the demons recognize Jesus' superior authority and power. And what they're actually doing, they're trying to resist coming out of the man until they can negotiate a deal. All right? So they're coming almost to like a conquering king. And they're going to come and they're going to fall down. And they're going to beg Jesus for mercy that he would not torture them. And I want you to catch this because often as believers, we can be kind of afraid of the dark side. And I understand that. It's a very powerful side. But we need to understand this, that the one that we follow, the one that lives in us, is the demons are scared to death of him. Right? So if you are in Christ, Christ is in you, uh, you have much greater power than the demonic realm, you see? And so, so there's, a, there's a fear factor here. They're running up. And so uh, when they get there, they fall on their knees in front of him, and they shout at the top of his voice. You can picture this naked guy there screaming, uh, and he says, uh, what do you want with me, Jesus, a son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Okay, so, so he's begging for mercy. Now, uh, just sidebar here, it's a theme all the way through Mark. Uh, the crowds don't get who Jesus is. The disciples are saying, who is this guy? The only one who knows what's going on are the demons. And so, uh, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. You can't see it in English, but in the Greek, uh, it's actually a continuous tense. So Jesus had been apparently seeing this guy at a distance, starting to command, the demons are trying to resist, and Jesus is repeatedly saying, no, come out, no, come out. And so now he's, he's rushing to kind of negotiate a deal. And so uh, when, when he gets there in verse nine, Jesus asks him, well, what's your name? And, and so he says, my name is Legion. And uh, so what we learn is that demons are not only personal entities, they have personal identities, they also have names. Often when you're working with someone that's demon-possessed, it's helpful to know the name of the lead demon in charge of this. So you can address that demon by name. And so he says, my name is Legion, and uh, for we are many. And so he begs Jesus again and again, notice this ongoing process, this is not just an instant thing, uh, not to send them out of the area. This is our home, we're comfortable here, we know the lay of the land, this is our area, please don't send us out of this area. Uh, in Luke's gospel, it actually says, don't send us into the abyss. Uh, so not just out of the area, but into this kind of place of kind of dungeon, spiritual dungeon. And so uh, anyway, so Mark says, well, there was a large herd of pigs that were feeding nearby on the hillside. So I want you to picture this. Uh, you got the boat, you got the man, naked guy. In the distance, there's a hillside, and there is a herd of pigs. Now, uh, we know it's Gentile country, right? Because Jews aren't going to be raising pigs. Uh, and there's 2,000. Like Jews aren't big on the BLT. So, uh, you know, they're not big on ham, right? So, so you don't raise pigs because what good are pigs for uh, if you're not going to eat them? So uh, anyway, so there's this large, what we're going to learn is 2,000 pigs. So I want you to picture it. That's a lot of pigs, right? And they're over there minding their own business, they're doing pig things. <laughs> they're snorting. They're grunting. They're rooting around. They're n- kind of nuzzling one another. They're laying down. It's a very peaceful, pastoral pig scene. All right? <laughs> they even got pig herders out there with the pigs. Taking care of the pigs. Okay, so this is a large herd of pigs feeding on the nearby hills. And so the demons, they, they beg Jesus, hey, could you send us into the pigs? Allow us to go in the pigs. Okay, well, we'll leave, but could we just please go in the pigs? And so we learn from this, not only 
Uh, do pigs, uh, do, not only do demons have names, personal identities, they can inhabit human beings, they can also inhabit animals, which explains many of your cats. <laughs> we used to have a cat like this. He was a black cat, and for no reason, he would attack our kids. He came out one day. You know, it's like, I should have, like, in the name of Jesus. I didn't. I just chased him away. <laughs> so anyway, so Jesus, this is fine. Jesus gives them permission. But I, I don't understand this. Like, why doesn't he just say, no, you can't go in the pigs. Pigs are minding their own business. Don't mess with the pigs. I don't know. But he says, yeah, that sounds good to me. And so he gives them permission, and the evil spirits, they come out, and they go into the pigs, and this pig, 2,000 pigs, I want you to picture this, on the hillside, they're just doing the pig thing, right? They're, they're relaxed. It's a nice day. Right? Just another day to be a pig. And all of a sudden, these demons go, this legion of demons that had all been in that one man. And now we begin to understand why that one man was so crazy. Because these demons are going to go into this herd of 2,000 pigs, and as you're watching, you see the anxiety level of the pigs growing, right? And, and they begin to get restless, and now they're beginning to stampede. And so they're going crazy. And so the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. If you go to Israel today, there's a place we believe was the location where this happened. It's uh, called Kersey, kind of a steep, kind of a hillside there, kind of a steep, uh, steep embankment down to the Sea of Galilee. And we believe it's where that probably happened. And so these pigs, just as they were causing the man to self-destruct, the, the demons that caused the man to self-destruct, they, they're now causing these pigs to self-destruct. They go crazy, and they go down, and they commit pig suicide. All right. So verse 14, so now those Tending the pigs. I mean, their eyes are huge, right? They've been watching this whole scene. They've been watching Jesus, the boat, the demoniac running up, uh, some kind of confrontation, the pigs going crazy, rushing. And so they're just, they're, they're just watching all this. And so their eyes are huge. And so they're going to run off into town in the countryside, and they're going to tell everyone what, what, they, what they saw. And so this is going to take some time. They've got to run in town, get the people. People got to come out. In the meantime, Jesus is now taking care of, of this demoniac who's now been freed. And so this guy, Jesus is going to be very tender with him, and, and he's going to bring him to himself. I'm sure they're going to get him some food. They're probably going to wash his wounds. They're going to put some clothes on him. And so when the crowd comes back, I mean, they all know this guy. This guy's been incarcerated with, with chains and, and, and things many times. They all know him. When they come back, he's like a totally different guy. He, he's like transformed. He's sitting there. He's in his right mind. Uh, he's clothed, uh, and, and they're going to be blown away, and they're going to be afraid. Now, remember, this is on the eastern seaboard. Jesus operates on the northwestern seaboard. So, so most of these people have never met Jesus. They don't, they've never seen him heal the sick. They've never seen him. This is their first experience, and it's going to freak them out. You, you know, sometimes we're more comfortable with the fears that we've lived with than the fear of the unknown. And so they, they're going to come, all they know is some wizard has come and, and has more power than these incredibly powered de demons. And so they're actually going to ask him to leave. And so when uh, those tending the pigs, verse 14, they run off, they report this to the town, the countryside, the people, they come out to see what's happened. And when they see Jesus, they see this man he's who is possessed by the legion of demons, but now he's sitting there He's dressed, he's, he's back in control of his life, he's in his right mind, and, and they were afraid. M much like the disciples, when Jesus calmed the storm, they were so afraid of his power, they, they were more afraid of his power than dying, that these people are now more afraid of Jesus than the, the demons that they have been afraid of before. And so, those who had seen it, they're like the pig herders, they, they tell the people 
what's happened. The demons, they kind of recount the whole story. And you just kind of picture this, right? So he was there and they were going to ship. And then they, he comes this way and then he's running and then Jesus and, and then the pigs. And so you can just you can tell, they're just going to tell this whole story. And uh, they tell about the pigs as well. In verse 17, so the, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And interesting, what we learn about Jesus, if you ask him to go, he will go. And so uh, now Jesus is getting in the boat, but of course the man who's been set free, totally different take on what's happened. His life was a living hell, uh, and, and now he's been set free. And so the last thing he wants to do is let go of Jesus, Like, this is the guy who gave him back his life, and so I'm sticking with you. You know, I'm like, I'm sticking with you no matter what. And so he's going to beg Jesus to come with him uh, to the the Jewish side of the the sea, but Jesus is going to say no, probably for a couple reasons. Number one is that this would cause Jesus probably problems in his ministry if he's got a a Gentile traveling as part of his inner circle. That's not going to go over big in Israel. That's going to hinder his primary calling, which is to the Jews right now. Uh, But secondly... Uh, on top of that, uh, he's got an assignment for this guy. And I want you to see what he tells him. He says in, in uh, verse 18, as Jesus is getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begs to go with him, and Jesus doesn't let him. He says, no, I want you to go home to your what? Family. Family. Now, I want you to picture this. We, we forget this. This man was a man with a family. He, he was somebody's son. Um, he was somebody's brother. He uh, may have been someone's husband, someone's father. And for year, at least for years, as you read, you get this, it's, it's going on for long. At least for years, these demons have taken more and more control of their life. The, the family's probably watched it happening. They've watched him lose their father or lose their husband or lose their son. They've probably done everything they know to help him. It may have been their idea to capture him like a wild animal and chain him up just so that they'd be able to feed him. He wouldn't wouldn't hurt himself. Their their life has been a living hell. Their their family is known as the family of the crazy man. That's how everyone knows them. You you know them. You remember Joe? This is Joe's family, right? Their whole life has been torn apart. And Jesus says, No, I want you to go home to your family. And can you picture this? Watching your son, your brother, your father coming home clothed in right mind for the first time for years. And you have him back. And what an amazing reunion that would have been. And then he's going to tell you about Jesus and what Jesus did for him. But this guy's not going to stop there. He is so taken with Jesus that he's going to go on a speaking tour. He's going to get a bus, a banner. (laughs) And he's going to go to, he lived in a region on the east side of the Galilee that's called the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. There were uh, 10 Greek, Gentile, pagan, uh, high-profile cities that were in confederacy there on the eastern side of the uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan, at least nine out of ten were on the east side. And he goes on a speaking tour to begin to share the message of what this man Jesus had done for him. And, and, and so his relationship with God has been restored. Jesus actually said, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. He says, I'm going to go and tell what Jesus has done. And, and so what's interesting, remember east side, but in a few months later, he's going to do his job so well that when Jesus comes back to the east side, there's going to be 4,000 people willing to follow him in the desert, Gentiles, ready to hear from him. Pretty amazing. And so, so Jesus is getting the boat. The man, verse 18, who had been demon-possessed, begs to go. Jesus didn't let him. He said, no, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord, how much God has done for you, and how he's had mercy on you. And so the man went away, and he began to tell, not just his family, but in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done. And all the people were amazed. And the rumor mill about Jesus begins to spread right? Jesus goes viral. And when he comes back in a few months, they're going to be ready for him, all right? And so that's the passage. Now, uh, today, powerful category five level of power, major confrontation, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. And from this, we learn a little bit more about who Jesus is, why he's come, uh, who we are, and what it means to follow. So let's jump in. There on your note sheet, you have a section. 
that's called Spiritual Warfare, The Tale of Two Kingdoms. Let's jump in. First thing that jumps out uh, from this passage is that spiritual warfare is very real. Uh, and the first thing that jumps out, you cannot miss this, that, that this realm of the unseen is, really, is, is very real. Now, we live in a culture today that is very schizophrenic when it comes to the supernatural. And what I mean by that is that we've all been raised through a school system, unless you grew up in a Christian school or something, we've all been raised in an educational system uh, in, in a world that has a worldview that's kind of anti-supernatural at the core in many levels. And so, so if you grew up through public schools, you've, you've all been taught that this world is a result of a huge accident, right, that happened uh, four to five billion years ago, uh, and just kind of a, a, random, a random series of accidents, trillions and trillions of accidents have resulted in us being here today. There's, a, there's no God. We live in a closed universe. It's a materialistic worldview. It's a secular worldview. Uh, that There is no God. So you're, ne- you're never going to turn on the news and you're never going to have a newscaster talk about God in terms of creation or the start of the earth. You're never going to go to a college class. You're never going to go to high school. It's not going to happen, right? We live in a culture that's very highly rationalistic, highly scientific, highly logical, and highly skeptical when it comes to the supernatural, okay? On one hand, and that's the water we drink. This is the air we breathe. Every day we breathe this air, this anti-supernatural air. Okay? And that's one side of our culture. But the weird thing, I think because of that, it's created a hunger for the supernatural in our culture. And so because of that, over the last 30 years, there's been an increasing openness, hunger, search for anything supernatural. And so it's weird we live in the culture today that people tell you all the time, oh, the, they'll talk about the energy force of the universe, right? Or they'll write books like The Secret. If you think something has the power of attraction, it'll draw you to it, so think positively. Or we'll put crystals in our car. Or Oprah will talk about energy forces in the universe. Or we have concepts like reincarnation become part of our, our deal and karma. Uh, we've, got, uh, oh, we've got spirit guides. We've got ghost whispers. Uh, we've, got, we've got you name it, you know, new we got Wicca, like anything supernatural as a culture we tend to be open to. And what's really weird is you've got one culture that's embracing both realities at the same time. So, so you can talk to a person who will totally uh, believe that the, the, the universe is a result of a materialistic accident, that there is no God, and yet the moment later they're talking about the energy force of the universe and, and what they're learning in their Wicca books, Right? It's just like we are a schizophrenic culture. But, but what's weird is that in the midst of that, Jesus comes. He says, let me tell you the truth about life, that we live in a supernatural world. That there, 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 are, there is a God. Uh, there, are, there, there, are, there is a Satan. There are angels. There are demons. There is a war going on between these two parties. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And so in the life and teaching of Jesus, we see this opened up, the reality of, of, of life uh, to us. And, and so what we learn is that, that in this world, that it's really, this world really is a tale of two kingdoms that have been in conflict since the beginning of time. And that Jesus has come, the reason Jesus has come is to bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness and to rip it off. Right, and so Jesus says when, when earlier in Mark, when he's accused of, hey, the, the, the religious leaders, the reason you have the power to, c- to cast out demons is because you're being empowered by a higher demon. You're like a warlock being empowered. Jesus, says, no, that's not what's going on. The reason I have this power is because I have come in and I've tied up the strong man. I've broken into his house into this world. I've tied up the strong man, Satan, and I'm ripping off his people. Right, and so I've broken in, and he says, so uh, if I cast out demons by the power of God, uh, it's proof that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so, so here's what I want you to catch, that this whole concept of spiritual warfare uh, in the life and teaching of Jesus, it's not a sidebar issue. It is the story. The story of the Bible is a story of two kingdoms in conflict. 
And once you recognize this, you see why it's such a big emphasis all the way through Mark. And we've seen it uh, in chapter one, it is baptism. Uh, the first miracle is casting out a demoniac. In chapter three, uh, the, the people are coming from great distance to be set free of, of demons. Jesus won't let them speak. The religious leaders claim of being empowered by Satan. Now we come to chapter five, we see this case study. This is the story. It's the story of the true king coming back to rescue the kingdom that's been usurped from his power by the evil Lord who's come in and, and brought deception and brought everyone under his power. And Jesus comes to rip it off. That is the story. It's the story of Jesus. And once you recognize this, you see it throughout the New Testament over and over again. Like, let me just give you a quick, a quick little uh, survey. There in your note sheet, in uh, 1 John chapter 3, the apostle John, is, who was there that day with the demoniac, by the way, his, here's how he describes why Jesus came. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared, that's why he came to earth, was to what? destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus came. This is the framework, right? Uh, next one, Colossians 1. Paul talks about what happens when a man or woman comes to Jesus. He says, uh, for he, talking about God the Father, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So when a man or woman comes to Jesus, we transfer kingdoms, from his life, his death and resurrection, he pays the ransom. We, we move from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his beloved son. We switch sides in this war, right? Uh, next verse, Acts 26. Paul's talking about what Jesus said to him when he first appeared to him and called him to be an apostle. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm sending you, Paul, to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of whom? Satan to God. He says, he says, this is what conversion's about. He says, I'm taking the message of Jesus because what this is about is opening their eyes to the truth about life for the very first time, veil taken away, and, and we're gonna take, we're gonna turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. This is what it means to be a Christian. We, we've been transferred from kingdoms. And then look at the last one from 1 John again. We know that we are children of God. Uh, in other words, we're born of God. We're born again as Christ followers. And that the whole world is under the control of whom? The, the evil one. So, see, so this, this issue of spiritual warfare, it's not like a sidebar on the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It, it's the story. It, it's the story. It's the tale of two kingdoms. Now, here's what I want you to catch. The moment you came to Jesus, not only did you transfer kingdoms, not only did Jesus free you from the kingdom of darkness? Not only did he open your eyes to the truth about who he is and the, and, and the purpose of life, not only did he give you his Holy Spirit to empower you to live the life you're created to live, the moment you came to Jesus, you got a new laser tattoo. It's called a bullseye, right? Because when you switch sides in this spiritual war, you now become a threat to the dark side. You know, when we do baptisms here, every three, four months we do baptisms, and, and the week before uh, we baptize people, I will send them an email and I will warn them. This week, you're about to be baptized. One of the most important steps you can take in following Jesus. And many will experience tremendous spiritual warfare this week because he doesn't want you to be baptized. And so here's what that's look like. And I'll, I'll kind of spell, here's the kind of thing you can expect to happen this week. And then when I meet with them that day before we baptize them, I hear all their stories. The last thing I tell them is don't forget what I told you. This week, many of you are gonna experience significant spiritual warfare. And here's what it's gonna look like, right? Because the moment you come to Jesus and you identify with him, and you step into that water, I wanna follow Jesus there is a mark that's put on your life that now you have a new enemy at a new level of degree because before you weren't as much a threat, you were in the kingdom of darkness. Now you've switched sides, okay? Spiritual warfare is real. Now, number two, the second thing that jumps out at me from this passage is that Satan has a plan for your life. Now, in Christian circles, we're used to saying God has a plan for your life, which is true, right? We'll talk about it in a minute, but 
But I want you to understand, so Satan has a plan for your life. Like, like, do you understand this? That from the time you are a little kid, he's known you. He knows everything about you. He, he knows your family. He knows your, your ancestors. He knows how you were raised. He knows the particular sins that were predominant in your family growing up. He, he knows the kind of generationally, the patterns of your, of your family. Uh, he, he knows your weak spot. Like for me, for example, Satan is never gonna tempt me in the area of gambling, right? Because, because I'm not a gambler, like with money, at least. Like I gambled once in high school. I bet money on the Rams and lost, right? <laughs> I was a nervous wreck the whole game. And, and it's just like, that's it, I'm done, right? So I'm not like, Satan's like to come, Mike, Las Vegas. I'm like, what? whatever. That's like lame. To take my hard-earned money and throw it away? That's lame. Right? So, so he's going to identify those other areas of my life that where, where I am vulnerable. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's sexuality. Uh, Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness. He's going to find other where I am vulnerable. Are, are you with me in this? Satan does not waste time trying to tempt you and destroy you in things you're not vulnerable in. He's like he's he's brilliant. He's bright, you know. So so uh, so so he's got a plan for your life, and that plan is to destroy you. Now this is the thing. It's hard for us to understand this, but I, I want you to think of the person who loves torturing animals. Why don't you picture that? Like there's some people who love torturing animals. They just kind of get off on torturing animals. Uh, I, I want you to think of a sociopath who lives for his next kill, dreams about his next kill, and then once he gets his victim, he just loves inflicting pain for as long as possible. I, I want you to think of some of the mass murderers of our, our era. Think, think of the Hitlers. They, they, don't just, uh, they don't just want to arrest the Jews or arrest the Poles or arrest the gypsies or arrest the homosexuals. They, they want to torture them, right? And they enjoy this. Like to create pain gives great pleasure to the dark side. Now, where do you think that comes from? That comes from the king of the dark side. And this is what it's hard for us to understand but he delights, it brings him great glee and joy to destroy a life. It's what feeds him. He feeds off of human pain. And so Satan has a plan for your life and his plan is to destroy you. And what we have in this situation today, the demoniac, it's a case study of level five, category five, demonization. What we have in this case study, it's a picture of what he would love to do to every human being if he had the freedom to do it. But what you have here is like an extreme case on steroids. Like, like think of cancer. You know how cancer goes through five different stages? You may have stage level one and you don't even know, no, you're not even symptomatic yet. But as you get to stage four and stage five, you're gonna see those symptoms really coming out in your life. Well, demonization's like that. When Satan's at work in a person's life, at, sometimes at level one, we don't even realize it, but he's moving us in a direction. And the further we follow that path, the more we're gonna see the symptoms of this demoniac in our lives. Not, not the same level, are you with me? But the same, the same characteristics. So, so let me give you three of them. Three characteristics we see, three symptoms in the demoniac. The first one's alienation. Do you see this, how in the demoniac that the demons had driven him away from his family and friends until he's living in the hills, uh, in the tombs by himself? And this is what Satan would love to do. Satan wants to destroy healthy relationships. And so when you listen to him, when you follow, you can expect there will be destruction in your relationships. Those your marriage, your kids, friendships, coworkers, nations, Going to war, Satan 
when we listen, he will destroy relationships. Number two is a loss of freedom. And by loss of freedom, I mean your life becomes increasingly out of control. You know, think, think of the addict, right, who's now lost control. This is a picture. Um, and so you look at the, the demoniac, and he has totally lost control. As, as the de- demons have taken more control over his life, he has lost control. And to where he not, does not even control his own body now. He is totally out of control. And here's what happens. Every time that we listen to the dark side, we lose control. And so, for example, in your life, every time you give in to anger, you become a little bit angrier as a person. Every time you give in to lust, you become a little bit more addicted to lust. Every time you give in to greed, you become a little bit more greedier. You lose your freedom. The interesting thing is, for those of you who have background in the occult, you know this, that if you go that path, this is one of the things that Satan promises. He promises power, but what we don't realize is there's a price tag on that power, and it's a loss of control. And so if you're dealing with someone that's dealing with demonic symptoms, this is what you'll find from them, is that they may have supernatural knowledge. They, they may do the, you know, the kind of the, uh, the, the travel thing, the astral travel things, or they, they may have supernatural knowledge or powers or whatever, but what happens is they didn't realize when they made that deal, they lost part of themselves. And so now the voices are coming, and now the condemnation's coming, and now the chaos is coming. So they've gained, it's like a deal. I'll give you the power, but to give you that power, I get access to control you, you see. Uh, the third thing that we see is an, an increase of pain and the loss of peace. Increase of pain and loss of peace. Is that we see this in this man. This man is a picture of total chaos. He is howling like a wild animal. He's running naked and he is self-destructive. He's actually cutting himself to create more pain uh, with, his, with stones. And so when we pursue the dark side, what you can expect is you can expect that you will have increased pain in your life and a lack, a less peace. Now, here's the thing. The trade-off that Satan makes, though, he will give you short-term pleasure in exchange for long-term peace, or long-term pain, rather. Short-term pleasure in exchange for long-term pain. That's the trade-off. And so there's no question that when you listen to the dark side, there's often involved short-term pleasure. What we don't realize is the trade-off is long-term pain. And, and a loss of peace in our, in our life, okay? And so, so, uh, so Satan has a plan for your life. That plan is to destroy it. And, and whenever you listen to the dark side, uh, then this is what you'll experience. Increased alienation, broken relationships, a loss of freedom and self-control, and increased pain and loss of peace. That, that's what's gonna happen, right? Uh, take it to the bank every, every time, okay? Now, number three. The, the third thing, here's the good news uh, the good news is that Jesus has a plan for your life. And, and his plan, in a nutshell, is to give you back your life, uh, the life you were created to live. Um, and, and you see this uh, in this incident. Think of this demoniac pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. Uh, Pre-Jesus, alienated, uh, loss of total control, and in great pain. I think of him post-Jesus now being reconciled to God and his family, right? And he wants to just hang with Jesus, uh, talk about, reconcile to God, but he wants to, he gets to be with his family. He's back in community. His life has purpose. He's going to the Decapolis now. His life has meaning. Uh, and, and not only that, then the, the freedom has come back. He's no longer uh, running through the hills out of control. He's sitting in his right mind. He's got his life, his back, and then on top of that, the pain is gone, no longer cutting himself. Uh, what he's got is his great peace in his life. And so what you see in this category five demonization is you see pre-Jesus, post-Jesus, what happens when you follow the dark side, what happens when you follow the light side, but on steroids. This is kind of played out on a huge stage in bright lights, uh, big screens. Let's go to an extreme case to show you the way it works uh, in our life. Now, there on your note sheet, there's a verse and that Jesus summarizes then these two plans. 
And he says in John 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Of course, Satan will be the ultimate thief. And then uh, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so these two plans for your life. Now, it leads to a question. And this is the most important part of this message. Everything I've said right now is just to set this up. Everything I said is just set it up. Well, it's all coming down. Uh, this is where sharpening the pencil now. This is where the tip of the spear is coming. This is what this whole message is about. What, what we've laid out then is given what we've learned, that spiritual warfare is real, Satan has a plan, Jesus has a plan, it all comes down to one ultimate question, which is the ultimate question of spiritual warfare. And let me give it to you, and then we'll unpack it. The question is, who do you believe? Who do you believe? Which story do you believe? So so let's talk about this. From the very beginning, there have been two stories. God is a story. Satan is a story, right? So so God is a story that he loves us. He creates this incredible planet, this incredible cosmos. He creates this very good. He makes our first parents, the king and queen, calls them to rule under his leadership. Uh, Everything is created for their good. The one thing he says is you cannot rebel against me because I am the source of all that's right and good and true. If you rebel against the source of life, by definition, you'll experience death, death at every level. And so there's one thing you cannot do, and I'm telling you, don't do it. I'm protecting you from life apart from me. I'm protecting you from trying to do life on your own. And so don't do this one thing, right? It's a protection for you. I love you. That's God's story, okay? And so Satan comes and what's his story? His story is God doesn't love you. God is out to hold you down, hold you back. He doesn't want you to experience life to the full. He doesn't want you to be like him and experience the life he has. And so if you want life to the full, you're gonna have to reach out on your own, do your own thing, you're gonna have to rebel, and that will lead to happiness and fullness of life, okay? So from the beginning of time, there have been these two stories. And the question is, Which story do you believe? And now when Jesus comes, he sharpens the pencil. He says, let me just draw it a little bit more clear to you. And I want you to turn to a passage in your New Testament. I want you to take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. This is not on your note sheet, by the way. It's a late ad. John chapter 8. Part of it's on your note sheet, but not the whole thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're in Mark, go right. If you hit Acts, go left. Okay, John 8. Let's go to verse 44. One of the most important passages on spiritual warfare in all the Bible. If you don't know it, mark it up. Uh, Memorize it. Learn it. The truth is incredible. Jesus is talking to the spiritual leaders of his day, kind of like their pastors and bishops and that kind of thing. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil. <laughs> nice. Um, and you want to carry out your father's desire. And so Jesus knows that they're plotting to arrest him and kill him. And he says, um, you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Okay? So what he's saying is that from the beginning of time, go back to the garden What did God say? If you rebel against me, the source of life, you will die. Satan knows that. He takes pleasure in that. And so he does everything he can to get us to rebel against God so that we will die. This was his, he was a murderer from the beginning. That's who he is, Jesus says. And he goes on and he says, he's not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, He speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So see, the question is, who do you believe? And so you have these two stories. You got God's story. You got Satan's story. Who do you believe? And so let me catch this. This is the heart of spiritual warfare. That every time you face a temptation in your life, this is the core question that's being asked. So, so for example, 
You're married. You're in a tough marriage. Satan has a story to tell you. I know that God said marriage is for life, make it work, but times have changed. You don't understand the pain that you're in. And so you'll never be happy. You'll never be fulfilled. Uh, if you want to be happy, you need to get rid of this woman or get rid of this man and start your life over again. And Satan is telling you a story. This is your path to life. And Jesus is telling you a story. Marriage is for life. I live in you. I live in your spouse. There's nothing, uh, in the, there's nothing we can't defeat together. If you come under my leadership, I can restore. I can heal. I can remake. This is healed for generations to come. Follow me. Trust me. Two stories. Who do you believe? You're, you're a single woman. You're a single man. The world that we live in today is telling you a story. The story is... If you want to be happy, you need to be sexually active. So sex is no big deal. It's no different really than brushing your teeth or any other bodily function. It's the way we're wired. If you say no to yourself, it'll lead to psychosis, neuroses. This is not healthy. It's not normal. So live a little. Uh, reach out. Hook up. Uh, do whatever you want. Uh, as long as it's consensual adults, not doing anyone harm. And so life will be better. And Jesus comes and says, that is a lie. Your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. Sex is a powerful relationship. It glues people together. That when you have sex with someone, not your spouse, it's not going to build that relationship. It's going to tear that relationship apart. It will lose your soul. You don't want to go that direction. Who do you believe? You come to your finances. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. Lay up treasures in heaven. Uh, give to the poor, uh, become like me, trust me, I will provide your every need, give as I lead you, give and it will be given to you, this is a path to life, I want to grow you in generosity, right, trust me, it's a path to life, Satan says don't give your money to someone else, you don't have enough, other people make more than you, wait till you're wealthy, if you give today, you won't have tomorrow, you won't have enough for this, you won't have enough for that, why would you give your money, and so different stories. Are you with me on this? Like, it doesn't really matter what the temptation is. There are always two different stories. And the question is, who do you believe? Now, let me say this. And I want you to miss this. Our choices reveal who we believe Let me put it another way. Our words don't tell me deadly squat about what you believe. Our choices and our choices alone reveal what you believe and who you believe. We may say we believe Jesus. If we don't follow Jesus, we are simply fooling ourselves. Which makes us the biggest fool. Our choices reveal what we believe because just check this out. We always do what we believe. It's impossible. It's the law of human nature. We always do what we believe. So our choices determine, reveal, that's a better way to put it. Our choices reveal what we believe. And catch this, our choices determine our destiny. Because there's only two paths. There's the path before Jesus and the path after Jesus. There's the path of the demoniac. There's the path of the right man is healed by Jesus. There's a path that leads to alienation, loss of freedom, and increased pain and loss of peace. There's a path that leads to renewed relationships, an increase in freedom, and peace and purpose. There's only two paths. There's, there's no third way. And so our choices not only reveal who we believe, our choices determine our destiny.
And here's, here's the good news. I want you to understand, as followers of Jesus, you have been set free to make the right choice. As followers of Jesus, you are no longer blind. As followers of Jesus, you're no longer in the domain of darkness. You've been transferred in the kingdom of light. As followers of Jesus, you are no longer under condemnation. A ransom has been paid and you have been set free. As followers of Jesus, you're no longer on your own. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to equip you to follow Jesus and make the right choices. As followers of Jesus, we have been set free to live the life he came to give us. The only question is who do you believe? Let's pray. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to talk to you. Uh, In a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating communion. This incredible time, we celebrate the reality of spiritual warfare, that our true gladiator has come, our king has come, the enemy has been defeated, that we've received ransom, We've switched sides. We've received the gift of his spirit. We have the power of, of his life living within us. Greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. And we're going to celebrate that great reality. And so today, for many of you here as followers of Jesus, this is just a time to recommit, to celebrate, to remember, and to be strengthened in this war that Christ is in you. And as you take the body, as you take the blood, you take Christ in you, and, and you are strengthened against the great enemy, and you are empowered to live for him, and just to to be remembered and strengthened by this this meal we share together. For others of you here, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, but in honesty, you have been living in rebellion. You know it, and and as a result, you're experiencing increasing alienation, loss of freedom, uh, a loss of peace, purpose. And today is a day for you to reclaim your rights as a child of God, to come to this table, to bow your knee to your true king, to reclaim the territory the the enemy has has ripped you off, and to trust in Jesus and move out into your new life. For some of us here, that you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you want to be. As I've talked today, something is burning in your heart. You want Jesus. You're like that man. You want to be set free. You want to transfer kingdoms. You want to move from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And, and what you need to do is you just need to ask Jesus to do that. And there is no better way to ask than to go today to the communion table and to take in what represents his body and his blood and to invite Jesus in your life and to turn from your past and to ask him to free you and to give you the power to follow him, to forgive you of all crimes against the king. What a beautiful way to enter the kingdom. You can do that today. And then there are some of us here that we're not yet followers of Jesus, so we're not ready to make that decision for whatever reason. And as we go into communion, I'd simply ask that this is probably not the best for you to do, but just to take this time to think, to reflect, maybe to pray, but to think about your life because communion says, I have stepped over that line, I follow Jesus. And so you don't wanna do that until the time is right. It would be hypocritical otherwise. You want to wait until you're ready for that. And so, Lord, we come now as your church. We want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate the freedom that you have come, that you have set us free from the dark side. We want to embrace that freedom, run hard in that freedom, so we might be transformed, that we would have a story to tell of what you've done in our life, that we might become a force for you like this demoniac you rescued. And so we come now, and we thank you for your body and your blood as we enter into worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I think that song could have been written by the demoniac. (laughs) That after meeting Jesus, there was no turning back. Just begging him. Just want to go with you. And Jesus, you don't have to go with me. Uh, I'll be with you. Just go back, right? And it's a story. You know, yesterday, I was at a seminary graduation in San Diego. A couple of my friends were graduating from the same school I'd actually gone to uh, many years ago. And uh, had a great message there. uh, African-American pastor... Uh, about ready to retire, just love of God, you know, just amazing guy. He spoke on this passage, and I want to leave it with you. It's a passage about warfare. It's a passage about Israel going in the promised land. They're leaving the old life of Egypt behind, uh, the kingdom of darkness. They're moving into Canaan, the kingdom of light, <clears throat> kingdom of light. And so this is what God says. When you go to war in your new land against your enemies, and you see horses and 
chariots and an army greater than yours. Did any of you have that right now in your life? You're facing a battle, some horses, chariots, armies bigger than you are. He says, when that happens, do not be afraid of them because Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, he will be with you. Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not give way to panic before them. For Yahweh, your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. Amen? And so maybe the Christ who is over you, around you, in you, and working through you, may he empower you this week to be a force for what is right and true and good for the sake of his kingdom until he comes back. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next weekend.